Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek here with Figure It Out Baseball. We've got another Figure It Out Baseball podcast for you today and a really good one, a guy that I think is going to be really good um, on the call. He's, he's got a lot of energy and, and just a guy that I think is made for podcasts. Uh, his name is Sean Buchanan. He's the recruiting coordinator at Albright College. It's a Division three school in Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, I'll give you a background on Coach Buchanan like I typically do, let you get to know the coach a little bit uh, before we jump into questions with him. He is a uh, Poughkeepsie, New York native. Uh, started out his college playing career at Dutchess Community College. Uh, that is in Poughkeepsie, New York. In his two seasons there, he was an academic all-conference player both years. Uh, from there, he went on to, uh, to play at SUNY New Paltz. However, his career uh, was, was basically ended before he got to play there. Had a pretty severe back injury, with, which ended with a couple surgeries and never, never quite got back. So uh, he started his coaching career a little bit early at, in 2012. He was a student assistant coach at SUNY New Paltz, ended up graduating in the spring of 2012, stayed there to coach in 2013. Uh, the 2012 team at SUNY New Paltz had the highest fielding percentage in team history, which Coach Buchanan uh, was a part of there as a part of the staff. And then in 2014, he went to be an assistant coach at his previous alma mater, Dutchess Community College. He then spent one semester as the hitting coach at Bard College, which is a Division three school in Red Hook, New York. Then from 2015 through 2017, he was the hitting coach recruiting coordinator at Ave Maria University, uh, an NAIA program in Naples, Florida. While he was there, the team set the school record for home runs in 2015 and then again in 2017. And the 2015 and 16 classes had NAIA recruiting classes that were ranked in the top five nationally. In 2019, he was an assistant coach at DeSales University, a Division III in southeast Pennsylvania. And then he spent, uh, in addition to all this, uh, all of the uh, college coaching, he spent five years coaching in the Perfect Game Summer Collegiate League, where he ultimately coached 14 guys that would eventually be major league draft picks. He spent time in, in that league with the Cooperstown Hawkeyes as well as the Albany Dutchmen. This will be his first spring at Albright College. Um, Coach Buchanan has also also recently became a certified biomechanics specialist, which is a really cool thing that we'll probably get into during the podcast. Uh, Sean Buchanan, really appreciate your time uh, being here with us today. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm fired up to be here. Good. Well, let's. Uh, I, I like to typically start with something from the bio, as uh, you know, listeners to the program know. And the first thing that I I just I'd like to get a little more. Um, just to find out what happened with the back injury. It's a really tough break anytime anybody loses a playing career for injury. Is that something that you mind talking about a little bit just to kind of tell us what that was like, you know, as a 20-year-old, 19, 20-year-old kind of having that kind of an injury? Yeah, so it was tough. It was uh, it was really tough at first. I ended up uh, somehow, some way, managed to blow out a couple discs in my lumbar spine. That resulted in uh, what would eventually be two microdiscectomies, um, a ton of rehab. Uh, to this day, I, I still don't have feeling in half of my left foot, uh, which is it's uh, something I continue to deal with every single day. But, you know, it's one of those things where, in the end, it, it kind of ended up being a, a fortunate accident because it set me on the path that brought me to where I am today. So, really, in the end, I, I wouldn't change anything about it. And I think that uh, it, was, it was something that was meant to happen. And helped me eventually grow to the, the, the coach that I am today. Did you know that you wanted to coach at some point before this happened, or was uh, was the coaching something that came on basically when you 
couldn't play anymore, and, and that was that was just sort of an opportunity in front of you. Yeah, so I was I've been obsessed with baseball my entire life, and in high school it was high school baseball was the greatest thing in the world. And I'm sitting there, and I I, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to teach and be a high school baseball coach. And then I got to college, and it's like college baseball is the greatest thing that's ever happened. I want to I want to be a college baseball coach now. And that was kind of uh, my mindset. And you know, when the injury happened, uh, you know, very fortunate that the, the head coach at New Paltz at the time, Matt Griffiths, you know, he turned around and looked at me and said, hey, you could be pretty good at this coaching thing. Why don't you stick around? And that kind of was the first domino that, that set everything off for me. Very cool. You may have just answered this, but is there a coach that you've had or an influence that you've had who has been who has had kind of the biggest impact on your coaching career? Uh, you know, you're, you're still a pretty young guy, but is there anybody that stands out that's that's kind of helped you maybe more than anybody else to get where you are? Oh man, I mean, there's there's been a ton along the way. Um, one of the coaches that that comes to mind first is is Al Hamill. Al Hamill was uh, he was my high school baseball coach, uh, kind of a, a local legend from from back home that system for a long time and uh, one of my first baseball coaching jobs was with him in the summer uh, doing youth camps and he's he's been a huge influence on me and he was kind of the, the first guy where I, I looked up to him and said like that's what I want to do I'm gonna be like that guy so he, he's definitely the first one that comes to mind awesome now that you're in the coaching world uh, you've been in here for a while, obviously. You've, you've been at several different places. Uh, but when you look back to yourself, uh, on yourself as a player, is there uh, uh, anything from your playing days that you learned that you kind of carry with you now that helps you to coach other guys that may be similar type of players to you? Uh, well, the kind of player that I was was, was not a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. I, was never, I never showed up at the ballpark and was the best player on the field. But looking back on that, I think that's what's helped make me a better coach because ever since I was out on the local fields back home, I had to figure it out. I couldn't just show up and be the best. Uh, I had to work really, really hard all the time just to earn a spot. And through that, I think that's what's kind of turned me into a coach even at a young age because I'm sitting there. You know, watching videos and just trying to learn and pick up the little things and, and paying attention to all the little details because I thought that's where you know, I could make or break myself was in those, in those details. And, you know, so my playing career is as, uh, as unimpressive as it was, I, I think that it had a huge impact on me um, becoming a coach. Well, I think a lot of the best coaches out there were not very good players. And for no other reason than you, you probably had to work a little harder and you probably had to do a little more uh, research. And, and sometimes I think, uh, you know, guys that the game comes very naturally to them, they have a hard time relating to players that aren't that way. And they have a hard time doing things other than, like, the exact way that they did it. So I think sometimes it's a good thing for a coach. Uh, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of coaches out there at every level, all the way through the major leagues that, that you know, weren't, weren't really good players at the level that they're coaching. Um, you know, but I've figured it out as a coach. Maybe that's one of the reasons why. I don't know. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's, that's a huge point. 
So since I was a little kid, I just figured it out. So now that you're, uh, again, on the coaching side of things, you've obviously had your challenges as a player. What's the most challenging thing that you experience as a coach, whether it's, um, you know, dealing with players on a day-to-day basis and, and their inconsistencies or whether it's, you know, whether it's off the field stuff, just, uh, you know, kind of bouncing around from, from place to place, trying to find uh, a college that's the right fit. It could be, you know, any of those things doesn't need to be like on the field thing. What do you find the most challenging uh, thing to be with being a college baseball coach? I think one of the most challenging things, especially when you come into a new program, is establishing trust. Establishing trust with the players because if they don't trust you, it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth, no matter how good or bad it might be. You're never going to get the buy-in that you need. Um, And I think that being a challenge is uh, is a good thing. Trust is not something that should just be given. You you better know what you're talking about, understand it thoroughly uh, before you're able to teach it. So if you can do that, then you can build trust. Um, so that's that's always been a challenge anywhere that you go. Um, but the more experience you have, the better you get at it. Is that something that happens over time with your players, or is that something that uh, if you do you, you feel like if you just come off genuinely enough to your players that they'll tend to trust you, you know, right away? What's your experience been with that? Honestly, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that uh, the, the deep-rooted trust is something that is built over time, and there's no substitute for that. But coming in and, and showing them that you genuinely care and that you do know what you're talking about and that you can explain things in a way that they can really understand it and a way they can level with, that's what opens the door for trust. And that's what, after that, it's, it's just time and building uh, relationships with guys. Building relationships with players, you know, is, is important beyond just, you know, what you're going to get out of them on the field. Obviously, it's there's a lot to having relationships with the guys, um, you know, and, and keeping those relationships as, as they go on and as they move on. That's one of the a pretty rewarding thing, you know, for a coach when you kind of stay, uh, stay up to date with players after they leave. And, you know, one of the cool things that guys talk about on here sometimes is like, you know, getting invited to a player's wedding or something like that. You're a pretty big influence in these, in the lives of these kids. You spend a lot of time with them when they're on campus. Once they get on campus for the next four years, you spend more time with these players than their own parents do. What, what do you think, what do you think are some of the most important things, important jobs that you have as a coach for these guys? You've got them again for, for four years. What are, what is your most important job, or, or maybe a couple of things that you think are the most important parts about coaching these kids? Well, for me, it's it's the two P's, and it's something I talk about in every single recruiting visit. You know, when I got a player and his parents sitting down in front of me, the two P's. The first one's pretty obvious. It's developing the player. I mean, obviously, you're here to play college baseball. Uh, it's a huge part of your whole college experience, and that's the obvious baseball coaches, your baseball players, we're going to develop you as a player. But the other piece, and the most important part, is the person. You know, our, our job is to develop these guys not only as players, but as people as well. And arm them with the skills and the experience that is going to help set them up for the rest of their life. So uh, that's that's what I think is the two P's, develop them as a player and develop them as a person. And when they know that you're invested in them, not only as a player, 
good in a person, but as a person as well. I think that that's where you really see um, guys take off and realize their full potential, both on and off the field. Potential, another P, three Ps <laughs> when they come yes. when they come to visit you guys. Um, so let's let's talk about recruiting a little bit. You've been a recruiting coordinator at a couple of different schools. Um, you know, it's something I know that you're passionate about from our conversations that we've had, you know, outside of this podcast. Um, when you are recruiting and you bring a player into campus, uh, what are some things that that you try to sell in your program to a player that's coming to visit you guys? You know, what separates you from the other schools that that, that kid is going to go to visit over the next couple of months? For us, I think it's our vision. Uh, my vision for not just the Albright program, but with any program that I've been a part of has been to uh, help create an environment that uh, inspires guys to um, maximize their full potential, that um, they will uh, – so you, you put me on the spot here. I got my vision written up on the board. Now I can't can't even think of it right now. But uh, it, it's something that it, it inspires pride in players and um, just the the attention to detail and hard work uh, that are aspects of our program. Um, you earn everything that you get. There's nothing that's handed to you. Um, those, those are some of the big things for us. I, I don't ever promise anybody a, a single inning or at bat at all. Like that is all something that is completely earned. So we really I, I try and recruit the blue collar guy that, that shares that, that doesn't want things to be handed to him, that wants to earn it. Um, and so that, that's a big thing for me. So if, if there is a, you know, student athlete who's in high school that wants to play beyond high school that's listening to this or the parent of that player or a high school coach who's trying to help their kids along, and help the kid, uh, help his players to find a good fit. If you were to, you know, be able to give them some advice of what they should be looking for, how does the kid ever? How does the kid know what's a good fit for them, right? So a kid comes to visit your college and goes to visit several other colleges. How how does that kid walk away knowing um, that this is the right fit for me? Like in in your opinion, what are some absolutes that a high school athlete should be looking for when they're going to visit and they're kind of narrowing down their options? I think it's it's definitely got to be an academic fit first and foremost. Uh, got to have the major that you want. You know, sometimes you get these these young guys and they're like, oh, well, I don't really care what I major in. I just want to play baseball. Well, you can't lose sight of the fact that the most important piece of paper you're ever going to get is is your college degree, and you've got to leave here with that after four years. Otherwise, all this was for nothing. So it's got to be an academic fit. But it's got to be a fit for you personally as well. You have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. Like, if something were to happen and you can't play anymore, is this still a place where you'd want to be? And from my own personal experience, like, that, that actually happened to me. And I was fortunate enough to have made the right choice from an academic and from a personal standpoint. And um, it, it's, it's definitely – the most important decision that I ever made was making sure that where I went was an academic and a personal fit. Because, I mean, the base, baseball is baseball, no matter where you go. Sure, there's some different philosophies and coaching styles and stuff like that. I need all that to line up as well. But 
like I said, you have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. And if baseball was taken away from you tomorrow, would you still be here? And would you still leave here in four years with a degree? I think it's great. It's really good advice. Um, something I used to tell guys as well. Uh, but the last school that I coached at was Moorhead State. You and I talked about that a little bit before we hit record on the podcast here. And, and it, was a, it was a school that's, you know, for a Division One school, it's fairly small. had about 10,000 kids, and there's about 10,000 people in the town. And it was uh, it's a town that's very rural and, and kind of the sticks in Kentucky. And what I would tell guys, like, if you are, you know, if you want to be on a big campus and, and you want to go to a, a football game with, you know, 50,000 people and, and you want to, you know, go to a basketball game with 6,000 people or whatever, like, you, you want to have a party town, like, this isn't it. It's, just, it's not going to be a good fit for you. Like, let's just be honest about that right now. And if you want something different, like, let's not waste anybody's time. Because you're right, it, it has to be a good fit all around. Four years is a long time to be on a campus, you know, if you're going to spend all four years at a place. And, uh, and you better like the setting as well as, you know, the type of people that you're going to be around and, and everything else, or else it's probably going to end up not being a really great experience for you. 100%. Uh, let's stay on recruiting for a little bit. So you're at a Division three now. You've been at several different levels. Um, for someone that's out there right now, again, listening to this, that, that maybe wants to play or someone that's at helping somebody else who does want to play, a, a lot of times, uh, you know, we all experience this, that, it, that so many kids out there are like D1 or bust. I have to go to Division one. I'm not going to settle for anything else. Um, what's the difference that you've seen between those levels like is, is there really that that great of a difference between a division one team a division three team an NAIA team even a JUCO team like as far as the level of talent like I guess I, I'm asking to almost like help help the kid out there who is getting recruited by some lower level schools to feel good that he's still gonna have a chance to play even though it's not you know the dream division one schoolmate well when we take a step back and we view things from, from uh, the 10,000 foot view the fact that you're even missing the opportunity to play college baseball at any level puts you in the elite of the elite. It's something like 7% of high school baseball players nationwide go on to play at the next level. 7%, 7 out of 100 go on to play at the next level, at any level. So being able to keep that in mind, it's, uh, it, it's something that you should feel proud of that, hey, I am in this, this elite group here. And within that elite group, there are, there are tiers to it, sure, absolutely. But um, when you're trying to make the decision of, you know, is it an academic fit, is it a personal fit, social fit, all these things, um, you know, the level of play in the end uh, is something that should really take a, a back seat. Um, you know, for a lot of the guys, that they're, they're thinking D1 or bust, they're, they're still holding out for their offer from Florida State coming in, and they're a 2020 uncommitted in <laughs> January. Like, buddy, it ain't ever coming. Like, you got to be real with yourself and be able to take a step back and say that the fact that I have this opportunity at all is a big deal. And I've seen every level of baseball – um, I'm an associate scout with the Pirates. I've been to see Division Three games, and, you know, you, I'll go to watch a guy who's, who's a really good Division Three player. You know, it's not like you're not going to get an opportunity if you're that good of a player. It's not like nobody's going to see you. You know, people are still going to see you. But let me just ask, let me ask you another question, just kind of dig into this a little bit further. 
once your guys are on campus, you know, you have guys competing at the Division three level, like do they, once they're on the field, is there is there the type of competitiveness, is there the type of talent, uh, you know, in the other dugout that, that still makes it a very enjoyable level for the guys that are there? Like I guess the, the question is, I guess, do the, the guys that are on campus, are they still looking at themselves like, ah, I'm just a Division three player? Or, I mean, is it competitive enough that they have a really good experience with it and they, they just they really, you know, enjoy the level of competition once they're there? And, again, saying this to, like, help the kid out there who's maybe getting recruited to that level so that, you know, so he realizes it's it's – it's not a slight. It's a, it's a pretty darn big deal. I mean, what's it like once your kids are actually on campus and competing against other teams? I, I like to tell our guys that I, I treat them the same whether we were a Power 5 school or, or we're the, the worst NAI school in the country. It, it doesn't matter. I'm treating you exactly the same. Like, I wouldn't coach any different whether I was at the number one team in the country or, or the number 500 team in the country. Um, so... That competitiveness and, and that sort of mindset is something that I think is – it may vary program to program, um, but I can tell you that any program that I'm involved with, you're getting treated exactly the same as anybody else. I mean, we may not have the budget that they have, um, and we may not be setting up flight scope and Rapsodo for, for all of our bullpens, but we're, we're going to do our very best to provide you with everything that we possibly can and give you the best experience possible and to cultivate a, a competitive environment in everything that we do. If you came to one of our practices, you know, this fall, it, it's loud, it's intense. There are people flying all over the place, and dudes are just getting after it. And I think that's something that it, it varies program to program, not just at our level, but at any level. And a good program, a good college program is a good college program regardless. That's one of the things that, honestly, Sean, that I had to learn um, as I kind of went on. So, so my second, my, my first coaching job was at Duquesne University, a small Division One in Pittsburgh. They have since dropped baseball, but uh, but that's where I went to school. That was my first coaching job, and, and I was one of the guys that in high school, like I scoffed at junior college. I thought I thought junior college was only a level where you know kids who couldn't do it academically, like they had to go, they had to go to junior college. Um, my second coaching job was at a junior college that was, you know, we, we won uh, 35 or six games my first year there and won 40 games my second year. And, um, you know, we were really freaking good. And I told my dad once I got out there and I actually saw our team on the field, I was like, Dad, this is a really good level of baseball. Like, we're really good. Like, we've got a lot of guys that they can just, they can really, really play. And it kind of surprised me. And I had to learn that over time that, yeah, I mean, there's the difference between obviously your top 25 Division One teams and and your Division Two and Division Three teams, but I mean, heck, there's there's a difference between your top 25 Division One team and your, you know, RPI number 250 Division One team as well. Um, but good baseball is good baseball. You know, a, a competitive Division Three team that, like you said, is going to really get after it at practice. That's going to work hard. It's going to expect a lot from their guys. Like that's going to be a good experience for a kid. Absolutely, and you never know what's going to come from that. One of the things here at Albright, we, we had a guy in the big leagues in 2017 and 18, and he's trying to latch back on for this year. We have a big leaguer alumni recently here at Albright, and there's, there's kids that are like, oh, you know, I, I don't want to go D3 or anything like that, but they're, they're talking to schools out there who haven't had a draft pick in 25 years. <laughs> 
it's real. It's a, it's a real thing. And, and it's important to get into because part of what I want to do with these podcasts, for anybody that listens to them, like we have a, a lot of coaches that are, uh, you know, not at really, really major colleges. And I want people to see that there are really good coaches out there who are not at, at the, t- at, you know, at the level that you're going to see them play on TV. There are a lot of really good coaches at other levels. There are a lot of guys that, that have a lot of knowledge and that really care about the game and spend a lot of time. Um, and I believe that you can have a really good experience at any level as long as you're going to a program that kind of fits what you want. Um, let's kind of go back to that a little bit as far as going back to the recruiting process, finding a good fit for yourself. How much do you think that potential playing time is an important thing that a, a player should be hunting? And if you believe it is important, how can you how can you do your best homework you know, to know whether or not there's going to be playing time available, you know, once you show up on campus. That's that's a great point. Um, I think that right now it's kind of an epidemic of kids that are they're signing someplace for the name, and then they end up getting redshirted, or they they walk in and find out that they're the fifth shortstop that's been recruited in that same class, and they they can't even see the field from where they're sitting on the bench. And it, it's gotten to the point where it's such an epidemic where we had to create a transfer portal in the NCAA for people to find new homes. So your your ability to get on the field, your opportunity to get on the field is something that you absolutely need to keep in mind when you're making your decision, not just what's cool for your Twitter profile. It's am I going to be able to play? And there's a couple ways that you can really look into that. Um, just look at the roster breakdown. If I'm a catcher and the school I just went on a visit at has three underclassmen catchers already on the roster and a junior who started every game as a sophomore, me coming in as a freshman, I'm going to have a huge uphill battle to to get on the field at any point. So that's something that I think uh, you need to, to consider and to look at. Look at the roster. How many guys are they carrying? If their program is carrying like 45 dudes, it's going to be an absolute battle for you. Not that you should ever shy away from a challenge, but if you've got uh, Program B that's also recruiting you and could be a great fit for you, and they're graduating a senior shortstop and there's there's nobody else really listed there underneath them in the depth chart, that, that could be your opportunity to get on the field. But if you ever want to make it to the next level, if you ever want to be something in this game, you got to play. You got to be in it. Yeah, yeah, and I've I can speak from you know for some of that again from personal experience in in some situations and you know you said a really significant thing there that you never as a player you want a challenge and you want coaches to see that you want a challenge. You don't ever want to back away from a challenge, but at the same time. Like you said, if, if you go to a team, if you're a catcher and you go to a team that's got three underclass catchers and one of them started every game last year and he hit 325, like, not, I mean, I guess one way to look at it is, well, I'm going to beat that guy out and I'm going to be, you know, an all an all uh, an all American catcher for that team. Well, I, I I don't know. I guess I can see that to a point, but also think that, like you said, the team that doesn't necessarily have the starter lined up and is at least having kind of an open competition for who's going to start next year. Like that's just, it's the better decision. I'll just say it out, you know, outright. It's a better decision because you've been coaching long enough. 
you never you, you rarely 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 see a player who really enjoys their college career when they didn't play you know i mean rarely does a guy rarely is a guy happy sitting for more than one year rarely do you have a guy that stays on a roster i would venture to say for more than a couple years without significant playing time it's just you know there's a lot of work that goes into it and to not you know at least have a chance to be on the field is is a, is a very tough thing so uh, I think that's a really significant part of the recruiting process. Um, how how honest do you think coaches are about that when guys get on when I, when guys are coming on visits? How how open and honest are coaches about playing time? Not just at your schools, but like at other schools. Kind of what you hear from other coaches and what you hear from other recruits. I uh, don't name really names. No, I would never name names. <laughs> I can put my foot in my mouth out here on the podcast. <laughs> but I, I do know that there are there are a lot of great coaches out there who are upfront and honest about everything uh, that goes on within their program, and they're upfront and honest about opportunities. Uh, but there are also coaches out there who uh, maybe have a little more self-interest in mind, and there's been more than a few circumstances where, you know, you hear about a player or, or you know a player who, who went someplace and they were really only recruited there to keep them away from somebody else. It's it's an arms race in college baseball. And you see that from the way like facilities are getting built, the way the teams recruit. Um, you know, just go on Twitter, go on perfect games. How many guys are committed to school X in like the twenty twenty five class right now? Like there's no way all of them are possibly gonna play there. It, you just can't. There's not enough roster spots, not enough jerseys to give out. Um, so, unfortunately, it, that becomes part of the business. Um, to a certain extent, I can even understand it because there, there's a lot of guys out there where your entire livelihood depends on whether you win or lose baseball games. And you got mouths to feed at home. So, the, the, the casualties that, that come along the way, it, it's it's kind of the nature of the beast at times. Uh, it's unfortunate. I don't think it should ever be that way, but it is. But like I said initially, for every one of those guys, there's, there's 10 guys out there who are being upfront, honest, and, and are, are doing the right thing by, by the guys that they're recruiting. So the best thing that you think that guys can do is what you've already said, just sort of make sure it's a fit. In other ways, in that way, not that you are going, not that guys are going to stay at a school if they just don't play, but you think is that one of the best things they can do is kind of look at a roster, look at the stats, and kind of look at look at perfect game and see the other commits that are coming in. Is there anything else a guy can do, especially when a when somebody's getting recruited like as a sophomore? Like I don't know, I just is there a good way to prevent that? I don't know if there's an answer. So I'm going to just you know throw it out there to you. Is there an answer? Is there anything anything else that a kid can do? to try to put himself in the best possible situation or, or to really know to, to know how upfront and honest these coaches are being with them. Yeah, it's do your homework. Do your homework. I mean, we we got Google Magic now. There's there's an infinite number of, of articles and websites and resources that you can use. And they're at your, at your fingertips. And if you work hard enough and you do your homework well enough, uh, you can get a pretty good feel for for what the situation actually is. Um, you know, having a good support system of, of high school coaches or travel coaches or the, your your hitting guy or whoever. Um, having 
them as a support system so they can maybe reach out. Maybe they already know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody who knows the coach at uh, school X, Y, or Z. Um, that can get you a little insider information and help you make a, a, a better informed decision. What are your thoughts on how early kids are committing now, um, especially to the higher levels? I'm sure there's a trickle-down effect. I don't, I don't know exactly what the timeline is you know, for you guys to start getting commits, but I know that everything is earlier than it was five years ago. Um, what are your thoughts on just the health uh, of, the, of the game and of kids committing as, like, freshmen and, and sophomores in high school? Good thing, bad thing for the game? You know, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's outrageous, to be completely honest. It's it's ridiculous. You you have no idea what what a, a freshman in high school or, or even earlier, you know, before some of these rules changed. You got eighth graders committing. This this kid he's he's worrying about whether he's got to go get his braces taken off or not, or, or is he who's he going to homecoming <laughs> with? And he, he's five foot ten and one hundred and forty pounds. So you don't know how that is, is going to end up working out. Um, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate thing. A lot of guys, they end up getting phone calls. They, they've been committed to some place since they were a freshman in high school. They get a phone call their, their junior year, and they're just like, yeah, hey, sorry, we're not going to have room for you. That, that actually happens, and it happens way too much. Is, but there's, there's not a lot of, you know, some kids can do, especially the highly – rated prospects. I mean, that's when, when a school offers you, I guess, you know, what do, what do you do? So maybe it's a, it's a tough thing, uh, you know, for some kids. So if, if there's a kid out there, um, is there any benefit to waiting? I mean, is there, is there anything that good can come out of it? Or we have, do we have to sit in our hand, on our hands and wait for the NCAA to change things like for this to get better? Uh, if there's a really highly recruited kid out there, is, is there really an option to wait at this point? Oh man. And it's such a tough question. Again, it's, it's kind of the nature of the beast where, where kids are getting offered earlier and earlier. Um, I, I do think that if if you're good enough, like the offers are going to be there. Uh, I, I get wary when somebody says that you know, like, I, they gave me 24 hours to decide. Like, <laughs> I, I had to pull the trigger. Like, you know those phone calls go on. Like, I yeah. need 24, 24 hours. I need your answer. If you have somebody putting that kind of pressure on you, especially as a young kid you're in high school or a high school underclassman, and somebody is asking you to make the biggest decision that you are going to make in your life up until this point of your life, someone's asking you to make that in 24 hours, like, do they really have your, your best interest in mind? Or do you think maybe you have 24 hours before I offer this to somebody else, which means that there's you know, it, Joey Smith is getting his phone call from big school, ABC, and there's there's 10 other Joey Smiths on the line. You know, so I, I think um, it, it is tough. It is tough because, like I said, it, it is a big decision. If you got your dream school calling you, um, it's really, really hard to say no. And I'm not saying that you should say no as a, a high school underclassman. But if you're good enough, the offers are going to be there. The offers are going to stand. And there's more coming. What What's too late uh, for guys? You know, I, I know that just hanging out around, you know, enough around high school players, like guys start to panic when they get to like fall of junior year 
and they don't have the offers yet. I mean, they're, they're like legitimately panicking, like, oh, my gosh, everybody I know, everybody on my travel team is getting offers and committing, and I'm not getting anything. Uh, what's, what is, is there such thing as being too late? Like, will, will you guys, and again, this, this question is to sort of, uh, I guess, uh, quell some of the fears that people have that might be listening to this, or some of the, just the misinformation that's out there. Will you guys legitimately, this is, we're, we're recording this in, in January, of 2020, will you guys legitimately go out this spring and sign any more 2020 grads? Sure. <laughs> if, a, if a good enough one is still out there somehow, some way, absolutely. You know, it, it's my job as a recruiting guy to, to keep the best interest of, of our program in mind. And if there's a guy that I feel is out there and could make us better, then I really don't care when he signs. He, he could be signing the day before classes start now. With that being said, usually in those cases, there's something going on that, that sends off more than one red flag in my mind as to like, well, why is this guy anywhere yet? And that's part of my job as well as a recruiter to dig into that and to find out why. Maybe he's a late bloomer. Maybe something has happened in his family or home life. Maybe he moved. Like, who knows? It could be anything. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's never too late. Uh, there's, there is a program out there for everybody who wants it bad enough, but the, the, the key is, is, is wanting it bad enough. Like if you're sitting around and it's, you're a 2020 and you're unsigned in June and your only offers are coming from you know, school out in Montana, but you don't want to go there, well, then you don't want it bad enough. Like you only want it in, inside of the, the guidelines that you're setting for yourself. Um, so is it ever too late? No, but I understand how it's getting earlier and earlier and how people, they don't want to have to think about this, their senior year uh, of high school baseball where they think that every at-bat is going to dictate whether they get to play the next level or not. Um, for me, and, and at our level, a really comfortable place uh, for guys to be signing with us or, or schools at, like, at our level is, the summer and fall of, of senior year, uh, I think that's, if you haven't gotten any nibbles or you don't know what you're doing at that point, like, you, you need to kick it into high gear a little bit and make sure that you at least have some options moving forward. No question. And I'll <clears throat> just tell you, uh, tell listeners to this, <clears throat> excuse me, I am, uh, I'm an associate scout with the Pirates. So I'll go out and see some, you know, some smaller college guys in the spring, just kind of help the full-time guys out a little bit. But another thing I do is try to find unsigned players uh, in central Pennsylvania. That, that doesn't just mean seniors, but, like, the best uncommitted guys, no matter what year they're in. And I try to help them out. I think some guys in our area are a little bit under-recruited. So, uh, but last spring I was out watching – actually, uh, I was watching a freshman. Speaking of this conversation, I was watching a freshman in high school – uh, just dominate high school baseball, and, and he has since committed to LSU. Uh, but he was uncommitted at the time, and, and, and I was given a tip to go out and see him, and, uh, and he, was, he was every bit as good as I, as I heard he was going to be. But the guy on the mound for the other team was an un, unsigned senior who was like 81 to 84 with a nice, nice little breaking ball. You know? and, and I sent out uh, – I took video of him, and I sent it out to a bunch of, bunch of schools, a bunch of Division twos and threes, and uh, I, he got within the next – you know, a couple of weeks, this is in, again, spring of senior year. Within a couple of weeks, he probably had seven or eight uh, Division twos offering him scholarship money. So, it, you know, it's – and they're good Division twos. You know, in the, 
the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference, the PSAC, uh, is one of the best Division II conferences in the country. And he had several offers from schools in the conference. So uh, just to kind of give some people some hope out there, it's, it's not too late. Uh, you know, and there's no reason to panic. And as long as you can play, obviously somebody's got to see you. But at some point, uh, if you can play, you know, somebody's going to give you an opportunity. Absolutely. And I think you make some really good points there as, as well. Like you were there to see a kid who, who ends up going to LSU, but you find something else. Like you got to surround yourself with the best quality competition. Uh, you got to go to the, the right showcases and go to the right tournaments and stuff like that to put yourself in a position to be seen. Like if you if you don't want to leave your your little bubble, your little hometown, and you're just playing like local Legion ball or or town ball or anything like that, then you can't be upset when nobody comes and finds you. You've got to surround yourself with uh, with the best quality talent, the best quality coaches and everything like that to put yourself in a position to be found. Great point, and I guess that will bring up my next uh, another question. If if there's a, a player out there who's from, you know, kind of a smaller town, um, you know, kind of like where I'm at in central Pennsylvania, we still have kids around here that, that I don't think quite understand the importance of playing on a travel team. From your perspective as a recruiting coordinator, how essential is it that a, that a kid plays on a travel team and, and just like you just said, and surrounds himself with, with other players, primarily surrounding yourself, you know, being in the same field as other guys who are also going to play college baseball. Like how important is that as opposed to just playing, you know, kind of in a local league, whether it be Legion or whatever. And I played Legion, I, I'm, you know, I'm 35. Uh, there was no travel team around me when I, when I came up, and, and most guys around me that were playing in college played Legion, but obviously the game has changed. Uh, summer baseball landscape has changed. How important is it for you as a recruiting coordinator? Like if you're, if you're giving advice to a kid right now, you know, maybe a kid is a sophomore in high school. He wants to play college baseball. He's, he's probably planning on right now just playing Legion. And you're talking to him, giving him advice. How important is it that that kid gets on a travel baseball team that actually has other college guys on it as opposed to a team that was thrown together by a dad where, you know, dad's son is the only one that's got a shot to play in college. How important is that scenario? It's huge. It's everything. You know, it, exposure is, is the key in the recruiting game. Uh, you know, for us as, as college coaches, uh, during the spring, it's difficult to get out and see high school games until the end of the season where we can get out. We can, you know, see the Pennsylvania State playoffs and everything like that that goes on, the Carpenter Cup, all that stuff. Um, towards the end of the season, it's fine. But if your team isn't going that far, it's going to be really hard for you to get seen during the spring because we're playing. Like, our seasons overlap. So the summer is is your time to get found. It's your time to get seen. And for us, uh, and I know it's not just us, it's the majority of schools out there, uh, we try to kill as many birds as one stone as we possibly can. If I can go set up shop at Diamond Beach and watch Super 17 for, for two weeks and watch two teams playing on seven fields all at the same time, and I can see all these players, if that's where I'm going to go, I'm not going to bail on that opportunity to go drive to the middle of nowhere to watch one guy that I heard might be good playing on a, a, a team that I don't know anything about. And that's just the nature of the beast. So making sure that you are uh, involved in these uh, big 
big competition tournaments and stuff like that is huge. But that's, that's how you're going to get seen. And that's how you end up on the field against the guy from LSU when you got 15 scouts all sit behind the backstop. I don't know if 15 are going to get that one guy, but maybe we'll find something else there as well. Great point. Great advice for kids that are listening to this um, to understand the importance of that. And, I, you know, I hate to for, – for, like, those coaches out there that are – uh, you know, lifetime legion guys. Like it's it's a hard truth, but it it really is the truth as far as recruiting goes. Um, you just need to be on the field with other guys that are going to play at the next level. And at this point, you know, most guys that are playing at the next level that are uncommitted, they're playing travel baseball, and that's just that's kind of the reality of our game right now. Um, we'll switch gears a little bit. Talk about some of the videos you have uh, on Figure It Out Baseball. So if you haven't checked out the website, it's figureitoutbaseball.com. It's a free website. Uh, for anyone to sign up for, you know, we're, we're trying to make it the best site imaginable for young players as well as their coaches uh, and, and parents, you know, to really access kind of anything they want. And, Sean, you've got some videos on the website. Can you tell us just kind of really briefly, you know, what you've got, what you've shot so far, uh, what people can expect to see from you, and why you decided to do it? Yeah, so I've shot uh, a good handful of videos uh, for you guys who figured out baseball. Um, first and foremost, this resource, like if you're not taking advantage of it, then you're dumb. Like, come on, this is—it's free. These are college coaches teaching some of the things that, that they do, and like the amount of knowledge and the group of guys that have been assembled to put videos out on figured out baseball is—it's tremendous. It's a phenomenal resource. So you got to make sure that you are on there and checking it often. Uh, for me personally, uh, catchers are my babies. I love working with catchers. So uh, I've got a couple videos, some different things that uh, I like to do with catchers, uh, hitting videos as well. Uh, catchers and hitters is my bread and butter. Um, and I try and think outside the box as, as much as possible. Um, a lot of different training implements, uh, a lot of different methods. I try to give the best reasoning behind everything uh, that I do as possible. I, I try not to do anything that would even be considered any kind of eyewash. Uh, everything that you're going to see from any videos from me is, is functional, is skill-based, and is something that uh, can actually be implemented. Uh, like I said, we're not, we're not fortunate enough here to have uh, all the bells and whistles of these huge technology uh, resources, which are all great. And I wish I had them, but the reality is most of us don't. So uh, anything that I post, uh, is something that I, I think can be implemented uh, at any level. And I try to make it stuff that scales as well. It's stuff that we're going to do on a daily basis here with our college guys, and it's something that you can do as a high school guy as well. Yeah, I think you're I, – I, I felt that, you know, as I was watching your videos, I just – there. first of all, there were some things that you did that I've never seen before, which was awesome. Um, you know, you don't – a lot of times you see a drill and, like, you've seen something close to it before, but you've done some things that I, I haven't seen, which was awesome. Um, but also, again, I, I felt like this is a drill that, you know, the coach of a middle school team could do, and this is also a drill that a coach for, high, for a college team could do, and kind of anywhere in between. So, so that was a really, a really neat thing, just to kind of the accessibility of the drills. Um, what made you decide to put videos on the website? When you and I talked, we, didn't, we hadn't known each other previously. Um, it's not like, you know, not like I've known you for, for 10 years. Uh, what made you decide that you wanted to be a part of this? I think we're in an age now uh, with social media and everything like that where it's our job as coaches to share. 
Like none of us have have gotten to where we are uh, on our own. And uh, I've in, in recent years, you know, as a young coach, you, you think you know it all, and you think you got it all figured out. But as soon as you can take a step back and admit to yourself, like I, I don't know anything about anything. I got some ideas that I, I think can help, but um, none of us have this game figured out. So when I saw this and I saw this community that is being built with Figured Out Baseball, I was like, this is a great resource to help grow our game, uh, help uh, get our ideas out there, and, and help share. Uh, I, I love watching some of these Figured Out Baseball videos because I'm going to do something too. I get fired up when I see one pop up in my Twitter feed. I'm like, oh, here we go. We got we got some fresh meat here. Let's let's dig into this and see what we got going on. And I know that you're a guy that likes the conventions. You like going to other, uh, you know, see other people talk and listen to what other college coaches are doing. And and as much as the site is uh, really, it was made with the with the younger player in mind. You know, it's 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 made for the eight to eighteen year old in mind. But, but that being said, it is all college coaches, and a lot of the college coaches are sharing what they're doing on their own campus. Just like your drills, a lot of the drills are appropriate for a 21-year-old, and they're, they can be appropriate for a 13-year-old as well. Uh, but, a lot, but uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that's on the website, it, there, it's a lot of stuff that guys are actually doing on their own college campus with their own college players. So it really kind of transcends the level that we've kind of created it for and, and really could be used to for anybody. I mean, heck, is a – if you're a 30-year-old playing in an adult league, like there's stuff on here that could be useful for you. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more. Just uh, kind of, you just talked about you know catching. You've done some uh, handful of catching videos for the website. My uh, my kind of take on things now with the way that baseball is, and we are in a, a showcase type of era where kids are all it's it's all about you know showcasing, showcasing, showcasing. Uh, that's where, you know, the emphasis is in the game today. It seems like, you know, defense kind of takes a backseat uh, sometimes. And, uh, and probably the second thing, which we don't need to talk about, are our 60-yard dash times. It either seems like a guy's like a, a 6'8 runner or he's like an 8 flat, and there's not a whole lot in between. Uh, it's like guys that can't run, like just they just concede they can't run. But we can talk about that in a different podcast. Um, but as far as, as defense goes, sometimes defense is not as valued as, as maybe a college coach would like it to be. But let's talk specifically about catchers. When you are watching a high school catcher, what does a kid look like that you want, that you see and say, I, I'd like to work with this guy. I want to recruit him. I like him defensively. Describe that, that defensive, not, not offensively, but describe that defensive catcher to me in high school that you believe is a recruitable athlete. Well, one of the things that I get drawn to with catchers is how comfortable they look, the comfortability with the position. Um, just a guy having – people talk a lot about feel, and um, it's kind of an intangible thing, but if you're comfortable behind the dish and what you're currently doing and how you handle pitches, how you handle staff, you show a little bit of athleticism and – um, you show that you're in control, like that is one of the biggest things that, that I look for uh, in a catcher. Because if you're currently comfortable in what you're doing, we can build off of that. Um, you know, when you got the guy who's he, he's in like a, a semi-half squat, he's got two hands on the mitt, and you're just like, you, yeah, we are, he, 
really far away from anywhere that we need to be. But when we got a guy who's back there and he's manipulating the baseball and just looks calm and in control of everything, uh, that is one of the biggest things that I look for, especially because it's such a beautiful position because there's eight dudes that are staring right at you the entire game. So the energy that you give off is, is contagious. And the eight guys that are, you're looking back at them, like you need to show them that hey, we're all right here, fellas. We're going to be fine, and we're in control of this game. And you're involved in every single pitch. So being able to show that is, is huge in my mind, and it's like the number one thing that I look for in catchers. Is there a major leaguer that you can that you have kind of in the top of your mind that you can point to that would give you know listeners to this an idea of a catcher? Because even among major league catchers, some of them are much more natural and fluid looking than others. Is there? I have a couple in mind myself, but is there anybody that you have in mind that you feel like is just just kind of the primary example that a kid should watch and be like, you know, catch like this guy? Uh, I think JT Realmuto is number one. He, he's the most popular guy right now, and especially being in the in a greater Philadelphia area over here. Uh, everybody knows about JT Realmuto and, and how good he can be. Um, so any chance I get to show video of him with my catchers um, is is huge for us. I mean, you, you want to catch like that, dude. I, I've paid money to go to Citizens Bank Park just to watch JT Realmuto catch. Uh, all the other stuff that happens is cool and great, but like I want to see that live. And um, the other guy that maybe not everybody knows about West Coast dude playing for the Padres off the hedges. He's another guy that, you know, dig into him, man. He, he is he's about as good as it gets back there. Probably doesn't get as much long as he should because he, he's way behind Real Muto at the, uh, with the stick, but uh, he's right there in terms of the ability to play the position. There's a little bit of an, an older guy, too. There's a former Pirate, uh, but still hanging around, Russell Martin that uh, to me when I used to watch him catch, it was just like I've never seen that kind of fluidity behind the plate. Like he looked like a middle infielder. He looked like a really smooth Latin shortstop playing, you know, playing the catching position. It was just like, I don't know, just something about him was a little bit different. Somebody that I, you know, going back to probably 2013 or somewhere in that range when he was with the Pirates, like a guy that uh, that I, I kind of really took to behind the plate as well that I think said, you know, a little bit older guy, but um, – you know, another guy that kind of has that quality about him. Yeah, people people went crazy when the Pirates signed him to that, that big contract. Um, uh, big Data Baseball, great book. and It profiles a lot about how the, the Pirates were able to stay competitive and what they were looking for in players. And Russell Martin is one of the guys they talk about at length in that book and what a game changer he was because of his ability to receive the baseball. You know, the, the way that counts can swing on, on a hinge with just one pitch is incredible. People, you know, think about it. One-one count, the difference between a one-two count and a two-one count is like 300-something batting average points. Like, you are literally affecting that at bat. If you, can, if you can win a borderline pitch for your pitcher and swing that one-one count to a one-two count. And if you're affecting it at bat, you can affect an inning. And if you're affecting entire innings, like you can have a huge impact on the game. And that's something that I try and drive home with catchers uh, every single day. Take pride in what you're doing back there because, you know, the average Joe Schmo fan watching, he's got no idea what, how, 
how big of an impact you have back there. It's like the offensive line in football. Like, those guys, they, you get no love. You get no love. But without them, like, you got no shot. Absolutely. Um, one more, just one or two more questions, just kind of sticking with catching a little bit. Um, so you want a guy that seems that that's natural back there, that's kind of a kind of has control of the game, and just seems very, uh, uh, I guess, seems like he's very natural, very fluid, and can win those. You like the guy that can win the borderline pitches uh, when he's receiving. How much are you looking at the showcase type of tools? Uh, you know, you go to a showcase, and you know, outfielders, the only thing they really get to do is show the arm off. They don't get to show how they can track a fly ball. Catchers, you know, they're going to throw it on the second base. There's some cheating that's involved there. Uh, the pop times may not be totally realistic. How much are you looking at a guy's catch and throw ability, uh, you know, when he's actually in a game situation? Uh, you know, how much is that an, an actual part of, of the recruiting? Just so, again, for, for people that listen to this, for them to get a realistic idea of you know, what a college recruiting coordinator is looking for. Yeah, for me personally, if we're in a showcase setting and the catchers are, are running their pop times, there's days where I don't even take the stopwatch out. Like, I'm not really concerned uh, with what the pop time is. I'm more concerned with what your movements are about. Like, are you something that we can work with? Uh, are you a guy that, hey, with maybe one or two little adjustments here, we can shave a significant amount of time off of that pop. So whatever it is right now doesn't really matter to me. I know that we can make it better by the way that you're moving back there. Obviously, you can see if somebody there's just no arm there whatsoever, and you're you can grab this pop time on the sundial. Like, all right, that's uh, that's a whole different animal. But when you've got the uh, the guys are all throwing uh, in the same neighborhood in pop time, like I want to see how you're just moving. How how can we how can we make that a little bit better and improve that almost immediately with a few adjustments um, in game. That's that's where I like to um, break out the stopwatch a little bit uh, between innings. Love to get pop times there. You got to do it. Hopefully, I, I can't stand it with pitchers. You know, when balls coming down and they just lob one in there, or they try and spin a breaking ball, or they don't even go from the stretch. I'm like, dude, you're you're killing me right now because I can't get a good look at this catcher. So catchers, make sure your pitcher's giving you a realistic look between innings uh, when you're playing an actual game because. Uh, because that's where I'll get a little more defined with things and try and grab a pop time. Don't be afraid to throw it either when you're playing. Uh, want to see it live. Want to see what it looks like. So that's kind of like my split view on catcher showing off the arm in a showcase versus in a game. Awesome. Uh, I guess you sort of touched on something along these lines, um, but – you know, just you, you've talked several times about you know guys moving, and, and you that's something that, that you want to see that you like. You recently became the certified biomechanic specialist. This would kind of be the last place that, that we'll get into um, briefly. What the heck is a certified biomechanic specialist, and <laughs> and how does that apply to what you're doing on the baseball field? Uh, it, it's hard. It, it's a much harder thing than uh, than I thought it was going to be. Like I thought I knew about the human body and about movement, stuff like that. And then I started this, this course, and I'm like, dude, I, I don't know anything about anything. Um, but certified biomechanics specialist, uh, in short, means that um, you know, I, I put in the time and the coursework to learn about the uh, human anatomy and the way that the body moves and 
how to promote more efficient movements because in the end on, on the baseball field um, that's that's the most important thing is how are you moving how are you moving through your swing how are you moving through uh, when you throw even running running movements and stuff like that and I think that uh, a frontier that maybe gets overlooked a little bit uh, in in the baseball world because everybody wants to talk you know, mechanics, 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 mechanics. But we really need to understand how the human body moves and how specific human bodies move because everybody's going to be a little bit different. Uh, some guys are a lot of bit different. But something that I've come to a realization uh, in the last year or so uh, is we could sit here and talk mechanics and try and get somebody to do things so we're blue in the face, but if he's not physically capable of doing it, we're just banging our heads against the wall. So that, that was the biggest driving force for me to, to go out there and, and get this, this knowledge and this certification um, so that I can better understand how guys are moving, how they're not moving, and how to improve it. I think it's really cool. And there's a lot, there's a lot of coaches that are doing stuff like that now. Um, you know, whether it's that or guys are getting uh, certified in other things. I think there are more – it seems like there are more coaches out there that are certified in, in that or, like, strength training or, you know, there, there are certifications with – there are other certifications that are out there. There's some just some cool stuff. Like, if you just kind of have a niche or have an interest in anything, um, it seems like there's there are just a lot of opportunities to learn uh, out there, which I think is a really – just a really cool thing. Um, this is Sean Buchanan, everybody. This He is the recruiting coordinator at Albright College, uh, Division Three School in Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's, it's been a real pleasure, Sean. It's, uh, uh, you know, this, this hour has flown by. From what I can see and just from what I know about you, uh, you're a high-energy guy, a student of the game, and a grinder, and a guy that I think is a perfect fit for figured-out baseball and, uh, you know, somebody that I'm looking forward to following, you know, throughout this spring and, and as your career progresses uh, in college coaching. So it's, uh, it's been great having you here today, and I, I've really just uh, really enjoyed this podcast with you. Well, thanks for having me on, man. This has been awesome. Yeah, I agree. I will have to have you back again sometime. I uh, want to wish you all the best and the team all the best this spring, and um, hopefully you can be a regular here on Figure It Out with, uh, between videos and podcasts. We'd love to have you around a little more often. Thanks again, Jeff. I appreciate it.